0: chapter 6 verses 1 to 13 as God's fellow workers we urge you do not receive God's grace in vain for he says in the time my favor of my favor I heard you and in the day of my salvation I helped you I tell you now is the time of God's favor now is the time of God's salvation we put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that the ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. In purity, and understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in severe love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as imposters, known, yet regarded as unknown dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. At the fair exchange I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the privilege of gathering together tonight uh, to worship together, to worship you, and to hear your word, and to uh, grapple with it together, and to open our hearts to you that you might speak of yourself to us. Words that would be uh, encouraging, reassuring, um, challenging, and strengthening for us. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would uh, use my mouth to speak your words, that you would open our ears to hear them and our minds to understand and our hearts to respond. May your blessing be upon us as we open our hearts to you. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm just back from... New wine from camping with you guys, and uh, it's been an absolute delight. Um, it's so good uh, to be part of a family, Christian family. It's so good to be surrounded with people who will look after you, uh, look after you even when you're not there. So, although dangerous things were happening all around my camp, my camper van, the fire was coming down, and and uh, the wind was blowing, and you know the Holy Spirit was at work amongst other people. And uh, the world was trying to destroy my campervan. nonetheless. Um, St. Paul's rallied around and kept me safe. So thank you all. It's been great to get to know a few of you a little bit better. Um, it's been great, too, uh, to be working there w- with my new job. For those who don't know me, um, I'm Mike Duff. And uh, I used to be a, um, a vicar uh, down in the south. In fact, I passed on my, uh, m- uh, the congregation that the Lord Asked me to lead to uh, to Adam Tams, Adam and Jess are now leading that congregation, so it was lovely to see them uh, briefly, and to uh, revisit uh, St Jude's and uh, and the other congregation attached to St Jude's, St Margaret's, so it was great to see what the Lord has been doing over the last three years amongst them, and my role with CPAS is I look after about 700 churches around the country. Uh, Not all the time, but uh, whenever they're looking for a new vicar in particular. But I'm also uh, in touch with uh, many vicars in those churches. So it's brilliant to be able to meet uh, vicars from around the country who are in our parishes and to be able to hear what God is doing amongst them and what God has been doing through them through these last two or three years um, of uh, pandemic and lockdown and the struggles that they have been going through for their congregations, and the way that their hearts have been open for their congregations in the way that St. Paul's saying his heart is open to the corinthians so um, so it's it's been a lovely well it's been a lovely experience, but it's also a lovely context for exploring the relationship between uh, Christian leaders and uh, and members of a congregation, which is what we're doing tonight. So we're working our way through the second epistle of St. Paul's to the Corinthians, and uh, Jonathan asked me to pick up chapters six and seven. But before we begin, I'd really like to encourage you to do something which I was taught, which Jonathan and I were taught long ago when we were students in our student church. And uh, two things. The first is to read along with the sermon, to read the text as the sermon is being preached. Otherwise, well, in this case, I've got so much to kind of whip through, you won't really understand what I'm talking about unless you've got it there in front of you. But more importantly, you'll just be hearing my words and not God's words. So I would encourage you to read the text as I preach. Uh, how are you going to do that? I'll come on to it in a moment. The other thing that we were taught was to write notes, okay? Uh, in the words of a famous um, uh, ophthalmic surgeon, and if you, can, if you can figure out who this is, you'll get a bonus point, point. I can tell you afterwards. Um, she said, if you don't write it down, it never happened. If you don't write it down, it never happened. And I can't think how many sermons I've listened to over my life, and when I haven't written it down, they never happened. Okay, so I'm encouraging you to start a practice of writing notes as you listen. It will help you to focus and enable you to remember. How are you going to do that? Well, somebody's had the idea. If you, if you have a Bible app, and you're able to, you know, read along with the Bible app. That's fine. That's pretty easy to do. If you can also write notes on your phone at the same time, my take my hat off to you. That's well beyond my skill set. Okay. Well, if you need either of those things, a Bible or something to write on, you'll find them. Uh, there are piles of Bibles at each side, and also uh, some paper and some pens and so on. Particularly today, I'm going to ask you some questions which are for you to take away and think about. And maybe there'll be one question that the Lord will put the spotlight on for you and you'll think that's the question I need to go on asking. And then if you've written it down, it'll be there for the Holy Spirit to work, with, work at with you. If you haven't, well, it never happened. Okay, so if you've got a Bible... I'd like to invite you to start a little bit further back than where our reading began today, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you've got the physical Bible in front of you, that's page 1162. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're going to start, actually, with chapter 6, but I'm just getting going. Just getting a warm-up. Okay. So... In the last couple of chapters, chapters 4 and 5, Paul has been showing the Corinthians how his own life has embodied God's grace and mercy through Paul's own death and his new life. And now, Paul has been preparing for Christ's judgment and responding with devoted love to the call of Christ on his life, the call of Christ's sacrificial love for him. And right here at the end of chapter 5, brilliantly summarized in 5.17, how does Paul keep doing this, keep summarizing the gospel in just a few telling words? So here he is reminding the Corinthians that whenever there is a new life, there will be a new way of living. And the old expectations, including the focus of much of 2 Corinthians, uh, the expectations on the kind of leader that you might have, these need to be set aside. And then next two verses, five, uh, three verses, 5, 18 to 20, God has chosen to reconcile Paul and the Corinthians to himself through Christ. And then, having reconciled Paul to, to himself through Christ, he has given to Paul, astonishingly, this amazing, incredible ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile other people to God through Christ. And then Paul finishes up with his powerful appeal in uh, 520. Be reconciled to God. And then he backs it up in 521 with yet another stunning distillation of Christ's work on the cross which is also demonstrated in his own life, God made me, uh, sorry, God made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, for me, so that in him, in Christ, we, I, might become the righteousness of God. And that's what brings us to 6.1, chapter 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Now is the time to respond. Don't miss it. If you didn't know it before, know it now. Through Jesus, God the Father is ready to offer you his forgiveness, his reconciliation, his eternal life. Today is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Settle your eternal destiny with him, even this very evening. Receive a commission from God that has eternal significance in the lives of others. Don't receive God's grace in vain. As I said, one of the issues that Paul has been wrestling with in 2 Corinthians is the way, is his relationship with the Corinthians. The way the Corinthian church seems to have discounted Paul's authority even though he had brought them to faith in the gospel, he had shared the gospel with them. Maybe it's because, with all his struggles and sufferings, he li- he looks a bit tatty, about a bit kind of ragged around the edges. He doesn't look like a powerful leader, you know, who's going to take on the world and them with him. Well, says St. Paul, there's another way of looking at this. So this is what he's saying in six three. To 13 the appeals that I've made to you in 520 be reconciled to God and in 6:1 don't receive God's grace in vain these appeals to you from me are backed up by my heart for you my willingness looking at verse four to five my willingness to suffer anything for you and even anything from you to suffer You know, your rejection. I'm prepared to do that. And still, verses 6 to 7, to respond with blessing. And that leads us on to verses 8 to 10. You might judge our apostleship to be a fake, but actually, based in all our heart for you and all we're prepared to suffer for you and all the gift of God that we've brought you, our apostleship is genuine. As is our love for you. We're grieved, and yet we rejoice for you. We're poor, stripped of everything, and yet we're able to make you rich. And we do all of this, we suffer all of this, and go on giving and blessing for two reasons. Back to 6 3. Firstly, not to put a stumbling block in your way. And secondly, Six, 6.11 at the end, just to show you how much we love you. I guess you probably can identify with some relationship where you love some people so much that you're willing not to shrug your shoulders and say, uh, pff, enough, enough already, but to go on paying the price for them. And this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. It doesn't matter what stands in our way or what you throw back at us, we're going to go on loving you. And it's worth noticing also, through all of this passage that we've just looked at now, how Paul's own life demonstrates that authentic Christian life isn't all smiles and chocolate. It's not all, you know... Kind of a glass of wine around the campfire with crisps and you know and twiglets. It's it's really tough, is the Christian life and relationship with other Christians. It's full of suffering and rejection and bereavement and dishonor and betrayals. But as we learn to face these things for the sake of Christ who who loved us so much that he was prepared to suffer so much for us, as we learn to deal with that, we begin to develop Christ's character and and to bear the fruit of his spirit. We learn to bear pain without anger or cynicism, but actually with a dogged love for Christ and for his church. This loving, it's not, it's not all about <laughs> it's such fun, isn't it? It's about we go on loving and blessing. We go on loving Jesus no matter what our life you know, gets thrown into the, in our life. We go on trusting him. We go on loving the church <laughs> even though our Christian brothers and sisters give us a hard time. there's so many challenges here for us. Maybe you can think of a time when you thought, you know, I really have had it with this church or with this fellowship group or with this team or whatever. Honestly, they just don't get it. Well, Jesus knew that we just didn't get it. His disciples never got it, but he went on having loved them, he loved them to the end. Paul, definitely his churches didn't get it but he went on loving and giving to the end. That's the challenge to us. Can we go on loving and giving? So here are two questions for you, and you can write these down. They're up on the screen here, in case you need them. What marks of Christian maturity in the face of opposition or suffering can be seen in your life, okay? So I'm speaking to you as Christians as Christians, what marks of Christian maturity in the face of opposition or suffering can be seen in your life? Not just, you know, how much you enjoy the Bible when it's sunny, that new wine. But when the times are tough, where do you see maturity, Christian maturity in your life? Secondly, what signs of Christ-like suffering, sacrificing love can be seen in you? Love for fellow Christians or for those who don't yet know Christ? What are the signs of Christ-like, suffering, sacrificing love that can be seen in you? Okay, if you were somebody else writing a reference for you, which of these could you write about yourself? Okay, so we've got to the end of our first section, and Paul sums it up in 6.12-13. As we open our hearts to you, please open your hearts to us. Bind yourself to us who love you and are willing to sacrifice ourselves for for you and for your eternal blessing. And by implication, don't bind yourself to those whose interests are for themselves, and only for this life, okay? So use some discernment here. Who are the people who who love you and sacrifice for you? Bind your lives to them and not to people who are just in it for themselves or for the short term. That makes so much more sense than of the verses that follow 14 to 16, which otherwise seem rather out of place. It seems as if just out of nowhere Suddenly Paul is diving back into kind of, I don't know marital relationships which he dealt with in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, but actually, this, this phrase here is about th- these verses here are about protecting our hearts from those who aren't committed to our eternal interests. And although our thoughts skip to marriage, actually, Paul is speaking here about their spiritual relationship with him and with other church leaders. So if you're a church surfer, especially online, we had a great opportunity to do that in the last couple of years, you might ask yourself whether this preacher that you're hearing about today, (laughs) that's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, actually loves you and makes sacrifices for you in this congregation. Actually, I'm not really thinking about myself because I'm a visiting preacher here. But ask yourself about your usual preachers. Do they love you and do they make sacrifices for you? That is definitely a question I ask or uh, when I'm talking with potential vicars of new churches. That's my role to, to find new vicars for churches. And uh, quite often in an interview, I ask them, you know, about why God has called them to this place. And I want to know if they're people who who will be there for the long haul, who will pour their life out, who will sacrifice for love of this congregation, or whether this is just a stepping stone to greater things. Of course, Paul does also recognise that marriage does have a massive impact on those who are bound into it, for better or worse, and he's already dealt with this, uh, as I've said, in 1 Corinthians. He's looked at the opportunities and the pitfalls for followers of Jesus who are married to people who aren't and some potential ways of handling that relationship. I'm not going to go into that now. Um, You look at 1 Corinthians and and have a chat with uh, some of your pastors here if that's really important for you. And he's also made it clear in 1 Corinthians how foolish he considers it to enter a marriage relationship with someone who doesn't share one's faith. And conversely, the other way around, I can testify to the blessing of being able to share um, m- all that is deepest for me, to, to share my, my deepest prayers and longings with my life partner. So, looking around, I thinking this was a student conversation congregation it's not really so student now in the summer holidays is it but if if you find yourself you know um, if my son were to ask me which he never will what he ought to think about doing on his first date I would say check out their faith before you check out their lips find out what they think about Jesus and whether they will pray with you if you're embarrassed to mention Jesus on a first date, what does it say about your faith, about how important Jesus is to you? And if you can't talk about it together at this point, it's only going to get harder. So if that's the kind of situation you're in, get straight to the spiritual stuff. Talk about faith and talk about prayer and talk about your aspirations and your longings in Jesus. Of course, this goes further. Are you contemplating any other voluntary relationships which are going to have a big impact on you? Are you thinking, for instance, about a, a new business partnership? Or accepting a job? Or inviting someone to lead a ministry with you? Or forming peer groups and friendships? Significant friendships are a great opportunity for witness, but they also change and shape our character particularly when people uh, start to ask us to do things that we think might be a bit dodgy. We want to say yes in order to strengthen friendship, but on the other hand, by doing so, we are changing our relationship with them and with God. So think it through carefully and get some wise Christian advice before you blithely agree to whatever it is. The more significant the relationship, the more it will affect you and the wiser you need to be as you start it. And then we move on to the verses that Paul uses at the end of chapter 6 to back this up. And just before you presume that Paul isn't inclusive, uh, just notice a couple of fascinating things uh, from these uh, verses from the Old Testament, particularly the third one which he's using to support his argument. Verse 18, this comes from 2 Samuel 7 and is about the coming king, the Messiah, the son of David, whom God will make his own son. A few weeks ago, in, right at the beginning of this series, uh, we were looking at 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 21, and in that Paul says how God was fulfilling his promises to us in Christ. So here is a promise to Christ which is Paul is using as a promise to Christ in us. So he specifically changes the reference in the Old Testament from the king to us. How inclusive is that? So we are included in the Messiah. But more than that that means that the promise is no longer just to sons. It's now to sons and daughters. And that's not just an inclusive translation in your Bible. That really is St. Paul himself changing the Hebrew for son to the Greek for sons and daughters. He was way ahead of us. Because of God's son, Jesus, God has made himself to be our father and us to be his sons and daughters. We are all included in And so, back to the previous point, where the choice is ours, we should avoid binding ourselves to someone else who rejects Christ. Instead, moving on to the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 1, because of all these promises that God has made to us in Christ, we should set about purifying ourselves and perfecting our holiness in Jesus. Okay, so here are two questions for you from the second half of chapter 6. Are there any relationships which are compromising your faith or undermining your life in Jesus? Find a wise Christian to talk and pray that through with. And secondly, is there a Christian leader whom you can identify as someone who is particularly blessing you, has, has been a particular blessing to you, and who has made sacrifices for you? Because if that's the case, the next question is how could you strengthen your relationship with them? That's the kind of church leader you want. One who who blesses you and makes sacrifices for you. Or at least how could you express your appreciation of them? Okay, so then we're on to chapter 7. The rest of chapter 7 follows on from this. And it returns to the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians, which he was speaking so warmly of at the beginning of chapter 6. I absolutely love chapter 7, verse 4. I always find it so heartwarming to hear church leaders expressing their delight in the congregation they lead. Long, long ago at New Wine, I remember two speakers, Mark Meluish and Steve Nicholson, uh, who's a church planter with a vineyard from America, And they were doing exactly that. They were just talking so delightedly about their own congregation, the congregation that Jesus had set them to lead. And I determined then that I would always follow their example and St. Paul's example here and just always tell others about how proud I was of the congregation that I was amongst to lead. And, and keep telling them, the congregation, how much they encouraged me and filled me with joy, even amidst the struggles we all shared. Makes such a difference, doesn't it? And I've definitely heard Jonathan speaking of you guys like that. Of course, if you aren't a church leader, you can just as easily apply this to other people, people that you have influence over, your spouse, your children, your friends, your colleagues, uh, if you're a teacher, your children, um, it's so easy to grumble to others about the people you have responsibility for. And it's so you know it's so destructive of yourself and it's so kind of demeaning of those you are supposed to be leading and influencing. And just remember that what you say behind their back one day is going to get back to them. It might be directly, like Paul threw Titus back to Paul. But somehow, what you say will have an impact on them. So make a habit of saying lovely things, of choosing the things, choosing to remember and express the things that you delight in rather than the things that irritate you. We can see that Paul has sent Titus to the Corinthians for two pressing reasons. Well, he had two pressing concerns when he did that. And the first we see in verse eight, chapter seven, verse eight, Paul was worried that the Corinthians would be upset with him. He's written one Corinthians, and it's been pretty tough. A lot of it has been quite in your face. And he's he's a bit anxious. (laughs) He's very anxious that they're going to be really upset with him and that the way he's written so strongly to them is going to have undermined his relationship with them. So he's sent Titus to find out and also, if necessary, to do some repair work. And I really get that. Um, Often, when I'm working with PCCs looking for a new vicar and they write a profile about their church, I can get pretty tough with them about what they've written, you know, kind of whether it's accurate and whether it's uh, and whether it's really, you know, really focusing on Jesus, whether it's there's any hope in it, any vision. And then having been quite tough with them, I again then get quite anxious that I've perhaps gone too far and I've then undermined and spoiled my relationship with them and then they're not going to you know, they're just gonna be grumpy with me after that. But in fact, Titus reports back to St. Paul that the Corinthians were feeling completely the opposite. Verse 7, 7-7, seven, seven. they were really anxious that their behavior had upset Paul and that they'd spoilt their relationship with him. What a blessing for Paul to hear that. So then from verse 8 to verse 12, Paul is exploring the relationship between loving someone and telling the truth to them. We kind of glibly say, tell the truth in love. And sometimes we just mean have a good gossip about it. That is not what Paul is doing, talking about here. He's talking about loving some, someone so much that you need to tell the truth, because the truth only the truth can heal and strengthen. On the other hand, you're not doing that, you know, carelessly because you don't care about them. You you're doing it very anxiously, you're doing it with great concern that what you'd say would be helpful and effective. So it's not just about the tone with which you do it, it's a, it's why you do it. I don't know if any of you have, you know, do line management, um, but all of us get the opportunity to kind of feed back to people, particularly people we love. Um, and you, you're left with that dilemma. Do you tell them the truth which they don't want to hear, or do you kind of you know just be nice to them and if you're nice to them you keep that relationship that's very easy but you don't help them and if you tell the truth you maybe could help them but maybe they won't like you so much anymore it's a dilemma straight talking is going to be really important but also the ongoing relationship with them um, in which case straight talking is going to feel dangerous will it help or will it hinder and the answer to that question is partly about you. It's about your undefendedness. This is not about you. This is actually about them and the skill with which you raise the issue and, and talk, talk it through together. But it's also, it also depends on the heart of the other person. Do they have the spiritual and emotional maturity to receive your criticism as a gift? And so you're judging the extent to which they can bear truth from you. What are they looking for in feedback? Are they looking for someone to reassure them and stroke their ego, or someone who can help them grow and develop? When I'm talking with candidates um, who, who, who are looking for new uh, posts, as vicars around the country, um, I always uh, suggest that they get feedback because that's really helpful for their development, but I also remind them that feedback only works if they want to learn and grow. As an opportunity to protest at how misunderstood they are, it's hopeless, it's too late. Well, hallelujah, it seems that in verse 11, the Corinthians have received Paul's feedback with a humble spirit and they're eager to learn. And verse 13, we see how encouraged Paul has been to learn that. However, then we find in 13 to 15 that Paul has an opposite concern. He's he's anxious that he's spoken so warmly to Titus about the Corinthians that when Titus meets them, Paul's slightly worried that Titus may not think that they've lived up to Paul's, you know, reputation, to their reputation that Paul has given them. And I guess I can identify that with that too. I c- you know, I just love some of the churches that I, uh, that I connect up with. And I'm so warm about them to potential candidates because I really want candidates to kind of, you know, come along and explore their vocation. And uh, I, do, I do find myself hoping that the, ca- the congregations will live up to the warmth of my commendation, not turn out to be wildly different. But how lovely when our friends discover the value of those that we love. So when, when eventually, you know, a, 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 a panel chooses a new vicar and, and the vicar or, or the panel, you know, write to me and say, it's just such a great decision and we just love this person or I just love this congregation. It's really, really heartwarming. It's a secret joy of mine. Well, okay, now that I'm on air and recorded and perhaps not so secret after all, <laughs> But it's just lovely when I overhear a member of my wider family or or a friend of mine saying that they've met my wife or my children and they just really admire or respect them or enjoyed their company. Well, I think rightly so. They are, of course, you know, the best, naturally. But isn't it a delight to hear somebody else say that? And of course it's the same with our congregations somebody else recognizes what we see of value in somebody else, that's such a blessing to us. So here are my last two questions for you. When you offer feedback, can you be honest enough to enable someone to grow? And on the other hand, do you care enough to be concerned that you might have been too tough on them? Can you hold those things together? And secondly, are you willing to tell the world how proud you are of those you love and not to grumble about them? Well, those are all my questions for you to take away with you from them. Oh, that's very clever. Somebody's taking a photograph. That is just so, I'm just too old. I thought a piece of paper and a pen you might need, and there you are, just doing that thing. Very impressed. I guess what I'm trying to say with all of this, Paul is just bringing to the Corinthians his love for them and all that he, has, he is offering to them of his knowledge of Jesus, of his care for them, as he's willing to, be to sacrifice himself for them. And when we are in a congregation that has church leaders like that, we are very blessed. And I want to say to you without embarrassment, you are very blessed in this congregation. You have such leaders, leaders who know the Lord Jesus, leaders who delve into the gospel and think carefully through it and explain and share it with you, leaders who care about you and are willing to, ta- to pay the price for you guys to lead you forward in your faith and forward in your mission. Cherish those leaders. This was the anxiety for Paul, that his congregation that he had planted by the grace of Jesus were not in a place of cherishing him and that made his job so much harder and more anxious. Cherish your leaders and bless them and they will bless you in the Lord Jesus. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul in these two chapters wrestling to express honestly his love for Christ and his love for this congregation. Help us each to be ready for your penetrating questions to us through Paul's words. Have we responded to your salvation, your offer of reconciliation and a new life purpose? And if not, what will we do about it? How are we using suffering and struggle to strengthen our faith in you and to express our love for others? Are there any relationships that are drawing us away from you which we need to deal with or, or any which draw us closer to you which we need to strengthen? Are we willing to tell the truth to the world about you and about other people whom we love? How proud they make us and how much joy they give us and to tell the truth to each other and receive it as a precious gift to be offered safely, handled first. Well, Heavenly Father, we know that you love us and you speak your challenging words to us day by day. Help us to hear them and to respond to your loving truth.